This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to Speed Star, a career retrospective on the cornerstone of the Dragon System, Masato Yoshino. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated Open the VoiceGate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing site, and there you click the red box that says Sponsor This Podcast, and you can set up a one-time a recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside, as always, by Case Lowe. And Case, we kind of, for one, we ha- I have two of my favorite people to talk about the drag system with, and two, we, we went kind of a smorgasbord this week, especially with our guest, Alan Forel. Yeah, I am obviously delighted to be here. There's nothing I enjoy more than talking about the Dragon System with both you and Alan. I feel like we probably gave this uh, this concept that we were doing to Alan before anybody else, and Alan had initially picked a match uh, that I was very excited to talk about because it was a match I was familiar with. It was a match I was happy to revisit. And then as we were planning this episode, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I, I think we're going to go in chronological order, but Alan picked a match that I had no memory of. He had changed his pick to a match that I was not familiar with, that I did not remember. And it was a nice little foray into something new when I thought uh, for so long that I had really seen the essential Masato Yoshino matches. So it's a delightful occasion to be here, as always. Alan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm a little confused. Did you say I changed my pick? I believe when we first started discussing this, you were all aboard Differ Cup 2003. Oh, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about that conversation. Yeah, that was, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, that was something I also was uh, <laughs> curious to talk to you guys about. Uh, yeah, I totally forgot about originally saying that. And it was, it was funny when you, um, when uh, we were planning this last week, and I was like, what Yoshino match will I go with? And like, for whatever reason, the match I picked just popped into my head i think i had thought about it like recently enough for whatever reason and it popped back into my head and i was like you know what this is an interesting match on a number of levels to talk about i remember loving it at the time being surprised by how good it was at the time it would be a super under the radar match i could easily see a lot of people not remembering it and i think five years on it's a fascinating match to look at both for yoshino and his opponent. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm not going to second guess this. I'm going to go with my gut and we'll just go with this match. So I was, I was very, and I think it complements the, the two matches um, that you guys picked because we really have a, a, a through line of the Masato Yoshino career with these three matches. Yeah. Singles, a tag and a trio as well, which I, I, I yeah. like that. There's just a lot of, a lot of things I like in this episode before we get too farther though. Mike Spears, how are you? You know, I'm doing okay. You know, last week, 
was my coming back down from my terrible, terrible travel experience. But, you know, we've been having just waves of storms in the upstate lately. And that's a good thing because we are about to get some of the smoke from the wildfire somehow. So, you know, I'm enjoying the weather now. I put on a special tracksuit today for y'all. I mean, two favorite people to talk Dragon System with had to get the right duds on. This is a black and mint green tracksuit that I have on today. And, you know, it's something, you know, green for Yoshino, black, you know, maybe a little bit for my match that I picked here. But I'm doing all right, Case. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Uh, the no AC apartment is keeping me nice and toasty. Uh, I did not have my usual post-work nap today, so we're kind of rolling into this podcast with some frantic energy. Uh, Mike, Al, and I are prone to getting off-topic anyways. I'm sure that will only persist as we go forward in this Speedstar Masato Yoshino career retrospective. Yeah, yeah so it's... I gotta I gotta ask at the outset here. I've been I've been greatly enjoying on your on your main shows recently the incredible effort you put into your your ad reads. And are are we gonna get? Am I gonna be part of an ad read here on this show? Am I gonna talk about uh, um, uh, manscaping and uh, and male grooming and all that here this week? Sadly, we do not have an ad read this week, but we could get a case. Uh, case That's low good romance because update. I probably wouldn't be a good representative for uh, for those. <laughs> I was gonna say, Alan, if you want to talk about manscaping by all means you have the floor we can actually shelve the yoshino for another week if you just want to go into he's that got 13 topic. days he's got 13 days we're good i i, yeah, I, I, literally, next week? I, I literally just timed saying that on purpose because sarah had walked into the room and she walked out in disgust absolute disgust shaking her head um, I, I can give a quick update because I, I don't think I said this on last week's episode because we, we weren't sponsored last week. So uh, unfortunately, I don't know if we if we hit our Manscaped goals. This might this segment might have to come to an end. But a few weeks ago, the uh, lovely lady that I have been seeing, I'll make this as short as I can, but come she on, was Gaze. telling me. Oh, what up, Sarah? <laughs> come on, Gaze. <laughs> oh, she's sitting in. She's sitting in. <laughs> Tell us about this lovely lady. Yeah, she was telling me, so she goes to a, like a trivia night every week, and I'm not able to make it because of the hours that I work. I get up early in the morning, this trivia starts late at night, but we had seen each other the next day, and she was telling me about the categories and how well they were doing, and then they got to this question that was like 80s and 90s athletes, and she was like, the people I was with, we just had no idea who any of these people were, and she threw some baseball players at me and some basketball players at me, and I got them, and then she paused, and again, we have not had a discussion about wrestling now she's been in my apartment multiple times she has seen my grand hamada universal lucha libre poster in my apartment but she's never commented on it uh and she she made the remark yeah then they started like showing us wrestlers and and none of us knew who they were and i was like all right well give me a shot let's see what you got and she said well there was like a like a dragon guy and i was like was ricky the dragon steve she's like yeah 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 and then there was like a a, a gold guy and i was like goldberg Nailed him, two for two. And then I kind of let that sit for about a half hour. I I wowed her with this knowledge that I just pulled out of thin air and then didn't really follow up on it. And then we were sitting in her room, and I basically had to come out to her. I was like, hey, so here's <laughs> the deal. Um, I, I know I seem like a good guy. I seem to have your best intentions at heart. I have a lot of fun hanging out with you. What you do need to know is that in my free time, 
I am a Japanese professional wrestling journalist and you just need to know that about me. And her jaw drops and she's, it's one of those things where she thinks I'm like doing a bit, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm unfortunately deadly serious about this. This is actually my, like the thing I care about most on earth. And I pull up voicesofwrestling.com. I say, here are some things I've been working on. Don't know if you heard about this Shingo Takagi guy. He's real good at what he does. <laughs> also, Kobe World right around the corner. Like things are, I knew you were asking me because we live in Chicago and, and for my job, I have to go to Lollapalooza, the big music festival here. Like I have to, I have to do some things at Lollapalooza, not on stage, relax. I'm doing grunt work. Uh, but Lollapalooza falls the same weekend as Kobe World this year. Oh and it's making my life, it's making my life really difficult trying to plan out all of these different things that I have to do. And one of the things she had been asking me is like, can we can we go to Lollapalooza together for a day? Because she's going on a on a Saturday. And I finally was like, so you know how I've been like kind of cagey about my Lollapalooza response? Well, you see, that morning, Casey is gonna challenge for the Open the Dreamgate Championship. <laughs> And that takes that takes priority over whatever it is that we could possibly have planned that day. Like I'm going to have my routine where I wake up early in the morning with an energy drink and some Twizzlers. I'm going to write my review. I'll go back to bed for a little bit. And then who knows where the rest of the day will take me. But this is like a thing that I'm deeply, deeply involved with. And I, she had uh, by this point, it's canon. I'd established that I do podcasts. And she was like, well, can I hear one of these episodes? I said, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> and then because she's a smart girl, she's a real smart girl. I like her a lot. She goes, oh, there's a podcast tab on voiceofwrestling.com. Let me just click, click, click. Oh, here's the oh. one that you're on. And then I told her, I was like, all right, here's the deal. Like we can listen to this, but you have to, you're only going to listen to the Manscaped read. And I, I let her listen to one of the ads that I had done that referenced her huge pop got over big. Uh, I'm a real baby face in her territory right now. Things are going very well. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so, Sarah, do you have any womanly advice to give Case after hearing all that? I don't know. Maybe she'll watch the Dragon Gate fashion show, which is before Kobe World. The, uh, a tremendous idea, Sarah. There's definitely going to be a point. I think Dynamite is probably the best entry into, again, because her when I said wrestling, she was like, oh, like, like WWE and I was like yes but no I no I'm not watching like Alexa Bliss right now uh I'm not a pervert but there is a level of like oh yeah like I'm sure she would be very entertained by some of what goes on we've been watching uh, as a couple we've been watching RuPaul's Drag Race and I see a lot of parallels between that and the world of professional wrestling that I think she would enjoy so things are going well Eventually they won't, but for now I'm having just a you tremendous time. It has no, been a I'm lovely thinking. summer. Oh, the summer girl. So, uh, yeah, this has been hot girl summer. This has been hot case summer. We went to the beach. I got very sunburnt at the beach. It was a very good time. Fantastic. This is. Well, I'm Aww. glad. I'm glad I asked. This is that's, nice. that's a big update. If we didn't get that update <laughs> due to a lack of battery, that would have been a, there. Would have been a very big hole in the in the in the story. So. uh yeah, I'm 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 glad to have got that and filled filled that in. I'm sure all the all the listeners are too. Um, I'm so. glad I got that. I'm gonna go lock my bike. How's Pudge before I go? Uh, Pudge is doing all right. We did two miles hike today, and uh, he is right now having a treat bone in his crate. He's usually a little wild on Tuesdays, so we're gonna see how he is after the show. <laughs> what what gets his goat on Tuesdays? It's just excited for AEW Dark or something. <laughs> I, I mean, 
big Taz head. You know, he loves to digress. Uh, it's something that so one episode I I forget the, when this was case, but I used to have a a playpen set up for him in my office so I can just like you know look over and like oh is he cool? He's cool. He managed to tear apart what was proofed what was advertised let me rephrase that advertised as a puncture proof bed and was trying to eat all of the filling and then another time after we're done recording i could the edit done i feel really good about the episode oh it was the episode we did with rich case it was the episode we did with rich i went downstairs so i was like all right i'm going to, have to slowly bring him to the office because he's just it, it's one of those things that's just a lot of things here i mean there's there's crazy max t-shirts up here there's a masaki mochizuki posters there's a there's both football and wrestling towels. He's got to get it over. You see, I don't have the nice, uh, the the nice ease in that Case does with with my romantic partners. They come home, they see my office, and they're like, "Oh, okay." And, it, and the, the <laughs> Mike, I have a Grand Hamada poster in my apartment. There's no ease in there. That's like <laughs> aggressively in your face. And he wore very small tights and no knee pads ever. <laughs> yeah, he was showing a lot of knee. But so, so after this episode with uh, Rich, I went down to his crate. He loves his crate. Crates are actually something that it fosters their dinning instinct. Like I know there's people who are afraid of crate training. Uh, Pudge loves his, and. He decided to eat a rubber Kong bone. I don't know if they have Kong toys in Ireland, but they're pretty much designed to be like, yeah, your dog chews a lot. Give them one of these. They're not going to get through it. He managed to swallow half of it. So I spent uh, a good evening into the early morning at the dog ER. Everything's fine. Apparently, he is an alien dog who's able to shred things down to, and I quote from the veterinarian, as fine as rice. And he was fine. <laughs> So Pudge is good. What a chumper. Sarah, before you go, what do you think of Masato Yoshino? Goodbye. Very quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's oh. it for Open the Voice Gate. Sarah said more than we could ever say. Good guy. Very quick. Nice haircut. Oh. <laughs> it's not that. I didn't say old. Oh, I think you said. No. What'd you say? I didn't say old. It's a really nice haircut. Well groomed. Well groomed. Okay. Yeah. Gonna... Oh, maybe he uses Manscaped to bring it full circle. <laughs> Get that sponsorship back. There we go. Maybe that's how we we have sold more ads. Is if we we we, we know that we know that Masato Yoshino has the uh, the sponsorships on his tights. We should have gotten an open the voice gate sponsorship brought to you by Manscaped on his tights. That's how it would have kept on case. That would have been great. A uh, real Brock Lesnar style uh, bringing that to Masato Yoshino's gear would have been uh, would have been terrific. Uh, he also would have been great to see Masato Yoshino in combat gear at some point in his career. Is that a good enough transition for you, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect transition there. So our three matches this week, we're going to do in chronological order like we have done. I picked first, and I picked the earliest match. I picked from Absolutamente, 2002, September 8th. My favorite card in Dragon System history. This was the semi-main event, and we can get into why I picked in this match in a second, but this was for the UWA Trios title as combat mode Crazy Max, the UWA Trios champions of Shima, Taru, and Don Fuji went up against the Italian connection of Mono Collection AT, Yoshino, and Yasini. This is a match that I had not seen in many years. This was one that I was happy to revisit. I think, at least when I was beginning my foray into the Dragon system, and, and my primary mode of viewing was a website that I'm sure you guys remember, but newer fans might not be familiar with it, OpenTheDragonGate.com. Who was it was just a collection of, of old Drangate cards. It was a tremendous, tremendous website. I was very sad when it went away. But this was always one of those that was featured heavily on their website. I think it was like the most viewed Toriumon show they had. 
and you see the thumbnail with the two rings and at least I don't think I've ever seen anything like that since I had certainly never seen anything like it at the time so it's a show that piqued my interest immediately in this match as well as the main event which Mike and I have talked about before Dragon Kid versus Darkness Dragon but this match in particular is is a real favorite of mine and there's a number of things in this match that I I just greatly adored going back and watching because it is a loaded lineup and a really special one-of-a-kind match. Yeah, I've seen this match, I'd say, at least twice. I remember the first time I watched this full card, and I was probably maybe three, four years maybe into my my Dragon System fandom, so I was, I was a pretty hardcore Dragon Gate fan at this point, but I knew this was a big show that I hadn't seen from the Toriumon days, it probably went up in like decent quality on the torrent site or something like that sometime back in like probably 2010 2011 i was like you know what i'll download this whole thing and watch it from start to finish and i remember just loving it it was just it's just such a, a tremendous card on a variety of levels it really showcases what was great about toriumon in, in those early years and what was great about the um basically integration of t2p into toriumon japan around this time it was really just a tremendous show and the thing i always think about when it comes to this show is the entrances of this match and particularly there's a moment during the crazy max entrance where first of all the all of them coming out and they're full-on uh Reference may go over your head, but uh, they're full-on uh, IRA-looking uh, outfits as they come down to the ring. And Shima just goes hog-wild and sprints around the whole setup, which is like, because they have the two rings there and they're much further apart from each other and at an angle to each other compared to, say, WCW World War Three rings, just this huge kind of um circumference to travel around basically if you want to go around the the front row of the audience and shima basically just does this lap around at lightning speed just motioning the crowd kind of the get up motion and he's so hyped like i haven't seen a wrestler come out this hyped in an entrance since that uh marfuji kenta versus juventude ricky marvin match where Hoovy and Ricky have clearly done a bunch of ecstasy right before coming out and are just going wild and just dousing themselves in water and um, Shima uh, may have partaken in a little of the uh, the ex himself here because he was in a mood all through this match and uh, yeah right from the opening bell with him and Milano just going hell for leather with each other Oh, there's so many great moments in this match. I would venture to say this match, because of not just how unique the whole Dragon System style and these wrestlers are in and of itself, but the fact that this match more than probably any other that happened in that system plays up the Toriumon Japan style versus the T2P style and shows the contrast. I honestly... I'm unsure if there's another match in pro wrestling history that looks like this match. It's com- bo- both visually in terms of like the arena setup, but also what they do in the match itself. 
there's no other match in pro wrestling that looks like this. It's it's crazy. And there's if you have even if you have like an eye for Dragon System and you are familiar with it, if you've never seen this match, there'll be things about it that you're just like, wow, that's just I've never seen anything like that before. Um because that was my reaction watching it the other night. And I've seen this match before. It's just been a good few years. But it just bowled me over some of the stuff they did. Just so, so unique. That's the word I keep coming back to when I think of this match. Yeah, and choosing this match here, I, I figured with like the three of us, with how we are, that this was like kind of a nice kind of thing to, to kind of look back to. Because we haven't done too many uh, Yosino matches in this series so far but just like as you're saying alan you had combat mode crazy max coming out they were fully kitted out don fuji had face paint on it just was this their first time doing the combat mode thing or had they been doing it during the feud leading into this i want to say that they've done that they did combat mode at least once against original m2k before this okay but in this feud which was basically like the top of T2P against the, really, I, I said this in the opening, but I'm going to use the phrase here, the cornerstone of Torimon Japan at this time. Just going head-to-head for what were the top belts in the company, the UWA Trios title. And for me, it's something that, like, I feel like a through line in this promotion kind of starts from this match. I feel like that for someone like Taru, this is probably one of Taru's best performances. You can hide him a lot when you're going to have a freewheeling brawl that spills into other rings and such. But for me, it's something like it's the opening face off. It starts off with, with Shima and Milano Collection AT just going at it. And then Milano Collection AT that was able to find the leg, was able to lock in. I believe it was the Italian stretch number eight onto Shima. And everyone was like, oh, okay. We understand what's going on with this match. It's going to be crazy max going to try to completely beat the living hell out of these three fake italian guys and the fake italian guys trying to show that they're matt superiority one and it's something that i mean this is a match that's like 16 minutes long and it just flies by throughout it and it's just it, it's just one of the touch points that for me that i feel like that okay with case and i especially at least for me how much i talk about how i think that the darkness dragon versus dragon kid match is still to this day like the the greatest moment in Dragon System history. It's my favorite match emotionally, but it kind of in a lot of ways this UWA trios match is something that really kind of shows like this is what the Dragon System is right now, and this is what we are going forward. Well, the level of thought and care that is just absent from you know most wrestling, and I, I think that's obviously an issue in current wrestling, but it's it's an issue that even in two thousand two. There's no there's no company that's doing something like this. Like Alan pointed out, just the intricacies of for a year at this point, you had had T2P guys doing their own style, doing something that looked so unique, wrestling that looked ahead of its time in 2001, 2002. And quite frankly, if they just replayed the first T2P show today, I think it would still be labeled as futuristic. And then you have this crazy Max team who is closer to the Torimon House style, but just because of the way they approach this match are are very aggressive in this way. And I really like when Shima gets like this. I, I've talked at length, you know, 12-1-16, the match with the five legends versus the five rookies in the class of 2016. Shima is wrestling Katsumi Takashima, who had a noted eye injury. And what does Shima do? He punches this man in the eye. 
in one sense is awful. It's horrible, but I'm, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't care. I loved watching. She would do that. And I think his approach here, especially with Milano is something really interesting to look at. Cause I just knowing who Shima is to some extent, him and Milano were always a fascinating pair to me because I really think they are where they were great foils for one another. And even in the smash, you know, we talked about the entrances uh, briefly in particular, the crazy max entrance. Well, when the Italian connection hits the ring, there was just an amazing visual of those three guys standing on the stage. It's Milano, Yoshino, and Yashini, brother Yashi, and Milano has the invisible dog, and Yoshino is carrying the tiny ape, and brother Yashi is just brother Yashi, and it is such a jarring visual. It is so uniquely professional wrestling, but also something that is unique in the context of professional wrestling, and it's hard almost. I've been doing this a lot lately. Mike and I did the show talking about the best units of all time in the Dragon System history. I've been doing a lot of writing about Masato Yoshino that you'll hear uh, next week, uh, or I guess that you'll read next week over at VoiceOfWrestling.com. Putting the Italian connection into words, either written or spoken, is much harder than I realized because it is a, a unit so reliant on visual representation, and you look at them and you get it immediately. and You see something that looks like nothing you've ever seen before, and they did that aesthetically with this match with their gear, but also, like Alan said, just the approach to this match, the care, the level of intrigue, the level of detail is second to none, and I should mention, because I, I don't think we've said it yet, all of these matches are not available on the Drangate Network as of the time we're recording, but they will be linked down below. You can watch these matches if you've never seen them before or you would like to rewatch them. Um, just uh, on something you said there, Case, the Shima-Milano dynamic, I just want to touch on. First of all, I just want to say in terms of like the Italian connection being hard to put into words and just, but when you see it, you get it. I think I think that just comes from the top down with Milano, because I would say the exact same thing about him. Like, I wouldn't be able to write about what makes Milano Collection AT so special, but I could show you by turning on a match of Milano Collection AT <laughs> or an entrance of Milano. This entrance of Milano Collection AT, the poise he has, twenty six years of age, um, just commanding. Uh, the presence or command the attention of everyone in in that venue commandeering the entrance in terms of he is the man in charge during that entrance like um, everyone else is a part of it he but he is running the show and I the dynamic between him and Shima works so well I think because he is one of the only people that Shima has come across in Shima's career that Shima doesn't cast a shadow over. Yeah. Shima is such a larger-than-life, confident presence on screen. He's just... He will eat people up, not just physically, but presentation-wise, you know? Um, he'll eat people up in promos he'll eat people up in terms of just aura and we've seen that time and time again throughout his career both intentionally and probably unintentionally in some cases and we've seen it used as a positive with guys who get that rub off him like a ricochet being a perfect example and grow as performers 
by just being around him. But it, Shima strikes me as a really difficult guy to basically have a one-on-one -on -one feud with because of just how he will dwarf people. Milano is someone who he couldn't do that to. And this match, that's essentially the story of this match. And it is played out so perfectly because of at every moment where you think Shima is just about to eat Milano up right from the first moment of the match where they have their scuffle and Shima is getting the better of it and then just so smoothly out of nowhere Milano puts Shima in danger with a with one of the submissions as Mike alluded to and we see them go back to that multiple times in the match where Milano will lock on these submissions. The time he pulls guard and, and puts Shima in trouble it was, was tremendous. Um, and of course, then the finish, uh, which I don't want to get too much into the finish, but it's it's as good of a, uh, a job at putting someone over and making them look like a star as, um, as, as you'll see. But yeah, so that's, I, I just wanted to mention that because it's so, it's so clear. Um, but Hey, this is this is the Speedstar podcast, so I, I guess we gotta we gotta give some love to Yoshino here too, right? Yeah, and his exchange with Don Fuji and this was yep. so cool because just like so so obviously one is Shima and Milano as we've been talking about, and then w within this feud you had the the fact that Don Fuji is a kleptomaniac. He steals things, and you know Yoshino was was mad about all of the hijinks that Don Fuji has put him through. So they went at it, and one of the more brutal versions of the Komori that he that that Yoshino does here, and then Don Fuji picks him up and lawn darts him through a table. Just insane stuff. Like, and then you know it, it's something where like Italian connection is so fascinating because. As y'all said, like you really have to watch them, like from entrance to like the end of a match to really kind of get Italian collection. But they, well, like this is probably the match I would say, with the exception of probably the finals of the inaugural Open the Triangle Gate, where like you get the idea of Milano is the guy, but then you have like the perfect number two in Yoshino in a way that like whenever it seems like that 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 Milano is starting to really get it, and I mean there's a section where like they. Crazy Max like hates being in this ring, so they wanted to go finish them off in the four sided ring, and they tried to brawl all the way out there. And you see, you, you see Yoshino trying to get back into the match after the after going through the table and, and all of that, and he just like stumbles and he gets in there and, and is trying to fight off everyone and trying to protect uh, Milano Collection AT. It's just such a cool dynamic and, a, and an interesting role to see Yoshino play. I don't think we, we noted at the start, but this is the way the setup is. One of these rings and the ring that this match was supposed to take place in is the T2P style six-sided ring. And that's the designated ring for this match. The referee stayed there when they went into the other ring. They were being counted out. Um, it, but, but Crazy Max were, they made that a big part of the story of the match. The Crazy Max would take guys over to their ring and the crowd would pop. Like it was like you had the Toriumon fans at that side of the, the Toriumon Japan fans over by that ring, and they'd all cheer when the guys came over to them. And uh, the Crazy Max guys would play to that, like they were literally going from like the ROH CZW feud, where you'd be going from your fans in one bleachers to the other fans on the other bleachers, and this kind of stuff. Like it was oh, so so great. 
it is on the short list of, of shows where I sit back and I think, God, I really wish I would have been in the building for that. Not only just, I mean, obviously the wrestling on this show, you have two all-time Toriyaman matches with this six-man and then what followed with the Dragon Kid match. But that dynamic that Alan just described is, I don't know of another Dragon System show that felt like it had this level of almost polar opposite reactions where the crowd was so divided into these extreme camps. And it really, it just, this match, it just feels like it's a level above so many other things. It really feels like a war at times because everyone, and Taro included, pulls their weight in this match. And as a result, one of my favorite six bands the company ever put on. And you've got the wild, chaotic stuff going on outside the ring because you've got like a bunch of Italian Connection members. Kondo's there. Baker Yagi is there. Um, Shogo Takagi Jet is, is there. And then um, fighting the lone fight for Crazy Max is Sua. But hey, if anyone's not going to be afraid to go... Uh, rampaging into a one-on-three fight it's going to be sua um so these guys are just going at it on the outside and they're being pulled apart by loads of officials and trainees and whatnot so yeah it's it's just chaos um throughout the match it's wild and uh, i do want to go back to what mike said about yoshino being just the perfect number two and when i think of all the stables and you guys did an incredible job a couple of weeks ago listing listing your your top dragon gate stables of all time um when i think of all those stables i'm not sure i can think of many more clear and more effective number twos lieutenants whatever you want to call it than yoshino and the italian connection like he he really served that role so well and it was because he had the credibility like he had the credibility and you felt he was good enough in any situation to stand up to any guy from an opposing team. But you never felt like at that point in his career, he was like a main event type player that was reserved for Milano. Milano was, was the guy. And that's what makes a great Lieutenant, I guess, in a, in a stable like this is not only are they great and, and be- legitimate and, and believable. And you can buy into them as, as a, as I said, against the other members of the other stables, but they also don't threaten the spot and threaten the shine that you have on the main guy. Because at the end of the day, one of the biggest things about the Italian collection and one of the biggest things about the integration of T2P was making Milano one of, if not the top stars in the promotion. And a lot of 2003 is built towards that. Obviously the, the August 31st match, um, being a, a big example in, in 2003 uh, when he submits uh, Magnum Tokyo, they were full hell-bent on making Milano a, a top star. And by Yoshino being the guy by his side, it didn't take from that. But it's still, Yoshino himself looked really good. It's a shame that when Yoshino turns, and I think that's March of 2005, when he joins Blood Generation and goes and goes back to his real name, it's a real shame that that is post-Milano. And obviously he turned because Milano left and there was no no need for that unit any longer. But I can just imagine the gasps of, you know, a Corkin crowd, or I think he turned in different Ariaki actually, of Yoshino finally turning on Milano and getting some extended interaction there between those two. 
is, oh, I mean, I think about Milano a lot in all of the things that we missed. I mean, part of the reason that Drangate in 2005 was so great is that all of their plans were thrown out of whack when Milano did decide to leave and they got really, really creative for a few months. And then Magnitude Kishiwata came in. They arguably got too creative for their own good. But there's that six-month period there, what is a really special time in the promotion. And it's really because Milano leaves. And for as much as I love that time, I would love to have the crystal ball and go back into, okay, what what is Yoshino doing either alongside or with Milano in 2005? And as we get into the global expansion, as we get into, you know, Typhoon and New Hazard and World One, what is Milano doing in this promotion? And it's a bummer that we'll never know. And then we get to this finish of this match, in particular, like the, the story of the match that we've been talking about, Shima and Milano Collection AT. The two of them are facing off in the ring. All of Italian Connection are holding back Crazy Max. I mean, even even Jet was in on the action there and made sure that he was on the hard cam of this. And we got some quality Shima being Shima, just shrugging off nearly everything that uh, Milano Collection AT did, including a head scissors. And then Milano was able to string together some of his bigger moves and lock into the AT lock for the Italian Connection to win the UWA Trios title. And just what a scene that was. Yeah, it was amazing. And the visual of, to go back to what I said earlier, um, the visual of Shima with the Okada tears going backstage as like a bunch of people are surrounding him, taping his arm to his body because it's been so screwed up by the AT lock. And Milano standing over him on the in the corner as Shima's out on the floor. Like, you want to talk about putting a guy over. They did it in a big way there. That was just so, so great. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. I, I love this match. I love this finish. I love the whole thing. It is uh, really a masterpiece. It's just hey, such a fun... Oh, go right ahead. Uh, Sorry, Alan. And, and just to double down on Yoshino, he was really good in this. Really great work with Don Fuji, but also with Shima, too. They had some real nice exchanges. Uh, some real good kind of um, proper, like, classic Lucharesu exchanges. And uh, yeah, I, I thought he was, he was great in this. Like, Yoshino was far from the complete finished article in 2002 i mean he was only sure. 22 um but you could see just the talent oozing out of this guy and you could tell that as he added to his game and as he got more experience he would be an absolute star and of course that's what he uh he became and that's certainly what he was by the time our next match rolled around in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, 
it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display again of all available cards hit rates grading so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack you are going to get something valuable you are getting something good and arena club in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about is also a marketplace for card collecting buying trading selling displaying all that sort of stuff but those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, you know, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network absolutely in case you chose our next match i'm just going to intro it and throw it to you this was from the finals of the second summer venture tag league in 2008 it was on august 28th 2008 it was the team of Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi Doi Yoshi Speed Muscle against the team of Shingo Takagi and Dragon Kid this match more so than most matches personifies what might be my favorite style of wrestling this era of twin gate matches I'd say from around 2007 when you really started to see Speed Muscle take form to Probably 2011, that Shima Ricochet, Pac Dragon Kid feud around that time period. I Obviously, there's great Twin Gate stuff that comes later, especially Shima and Gamma versus the Millennials, Yamadoi, etc., etc. But all that stuff takes a little bit of a different tone. This era of Twin Gate wrestling might be just my Desert Island absolute favorite. This is the style of wrestling that I enjoy most. And these two teams not only had a terrific match at a Drangate USA show, the third DG USA show that Mike and I talked about over a year ago now, that's on audio, that is the Open the Freedom Gate show from 2009, but they have this match, it's a year prior, Cork and Hall Summer Venture Tag League, this whole tournament is terrific, and I kind of want to throw it to Alan just for a second, because I know Alan watched the entire episode of Infinity that this was on, and I would like to hear his thoughts on that. I did, and um, I have great memories of this Summer Adventure Tag League for a variety of reasons. It is the famous No Ring Tag League, where there was one show where the uh, the ring broke in the first match, and basically the whole show had to be wrestled without a ring, and there may be no other show which better exemplifies how skilled the Dragon System wrestlers are, and there may be no show that better spits in the face of the idea of these guys being um, overly choreographed um, unable to adapt uh, rigid pro wrestlers um, than this show right here because 
they, with no planning whatsoever, get the ring taken away from them and they adjust on the fly and have a show with a bunch of four-star plus matches because they're amazing. But um, what I was going to say was just on the... uh, I'll come back to the TV episode as, as a whole in a second case, but what you said about this era of Twin Gate... Um, two-on-two style Dragon Gate matches. I am right there with you. It's something I loved at the time. I was just, I was like the biggest speed muscle, or as I like to call them, Doi Yoshi, before I realized they were called speed muscle. If you go into my match of your tracking sheets back in like 2007, 2008, you'll see a lot of Doi Yoshi in there. But um, uh and Steen Erico, those were the two things that that, that was uh, that was big for me at the time. I loved I loved saying Steen Erico and Doi Yoshi. I was that nerd. But um, uh, <laughs> the um, I loved those guys. I loved Shingo and Hulk. I loved Susumu and Ryo Saito. I loved Arayiwa. I was just such a fan of this division, this style of wrestling. The heartbreaking thing is that. So many of the great matches, particularly ones that go 20 minute plus or even close to half an hour, which there were quite a few of them, we don't have in full. We have lots clipped out because of the nature of the TV at that time. It was one hour episodes, I think, every two weeks or something like that. I I can't remember exactly, Um, but a lot of stuff got cut and... I know there were some matches where you'd only get a few minutes on Infinity, but the few minutes you got, the crowd would just be absolutely electric, like losing their minds in a way that like I've very rarely seen in Dragon System history. Like some of the best crowd heat I've ever seen for some of these matches, and. Yeah, we don't have them in full, sadly. It's, it's a shame. The only matches we really have in full are the ones that appeared on pay-per-view. So, like, for example, Araiwa versus um, Yokosuka and uh, Susumu. And then there's Yokosuka, uh, or sorry, Yokosuka and Saito. And uh, there's a Yokosuka and Saito versus Speed Muscle match from a pay-per-view. There is the amazing... Shingo and Hulk versus Kenta and Taiji Ishimori match from early 2008. So we have some great ones that did make it onto pay-per-view. And we have a few of the TV ones that we got maybe 75%, 80% of at best. So there's enough there to love it. But, God, there's it's frustrating that there's, I'm sure, dozens of great Dragon Gate 2-on-2 tags that we've only seen a, a sampling of. And... Uh, yeah, the, the match we're going to talk about here, we get probably, I don't know, 75% of, but enough to know it's an amazing match, that's for sure. Even in the context of this tournament, you know, it's Shingo and Dragon Kid, it's Doi Yoshi, it's Cyber Kong Yamato, Hulk and Tanazaki, who are a super fun team, Mochi Fuji, and also this little tag team called the Young Bucks are in this tournament, and we get a, a super clipped version of of them versus Mochi Fuji on the No Ring Show. I think it's them against Saito and Susumu that there's a little clip of on on a TV episode as well. But not having, you know, this is as much as the taping schedule as the clipping, but not having Dragon Kid and Shingo versus the Young Bucks on tape, 
hurts me on an emotional level, uh, deeply disturbing that we never really got to see what that match looked like, let alone, you know, matches in Kobe or Sapporo. There's normal towns that they would tape in that we don't have the full matches of it. It's, it's super disappointing. Luckily, this one, uh, I think cage match has the runtime here at about 25 minutes, and we have about 21 minutes of this match. So a lot of it is there. And what we see is, you know, one of the best tag teams of all time in Doyoshi and this very short-lived Shingo Dragon Kid tag team that I wish just for the sake of match quality, they would have extended the life of because they were such a wonderful team together. And Mike, I'm kind of curious, Alan waxed poetically about this era of uh, the Twin Gate division. I don't oh, remember, yeah. is this is this a time where you were following the promotion as it was happening? Uh, please yeah. elaborate. So... Alan talked about my favorite tag team in Dragon System history, Araiwa. So, yeah, it, it, it's something that the first few Summer Adventure Tag Leagues were just so awesome because they really, and, and, and it's something that they really haven't gotten a balance of now. And it's something that, I mean, really over like the last decade, they have had this kind of minor issue where usually it's the Triangle Gate that's either really hot or the Twin Gate, not both. But at this time period, they found a way to really kind of highlight both of them and just like Rioska was such a fun team and I mean just like these important like just building blocks that it in a lot of ways if it wasn't for like this and the Tenryu project I entered uh, was it the Tenryu project uh independent junior heavyweight tag team title belts that they unified in with the uh, twin gate really like set the uh, road so that we could have the Shima Gamma Sakazenroke the Susumi Yokosuka and Kagatora Yokosuke Chome, and even like Big Ben, Tomahawk, uh, Tomahawk TT and Ata. Sorry, T Hawk and Ata. Like, this is like so formulative of this time, and it's such a bummer about what made tape, what didn't make tape. But Alan, there was one match and, and, and two combinations of names that did make tape that I was live in attendance for. Just a little match, just a little show called Dragon Gate Challenge 2 in Orlando, where we got to see Scenerico versus uh doyoshi and one of them still one of my favorite matches i've ever seen i wanted to bring that up because that wrestlemania weekend was like ring of honor's homage to the dragon gate twin gate division mixed Mm -hmm. in with their tag team division because let's think we got steen erico versus doyoshi we got um new hazard versus i'm gonna say new hazard versus age of the fall yeah new hazard versus steen and generico and we got was there another Doi and Yoshino match? No, because they would have been in the six man. So was it the three right. matches? Was that it? Uh there was Briscoe's versus DK in Cyrio. Yes, which wasn't as good as the other ones, no. but still still a good a good match. Um yeah, like that was I I'll always remember the near fall of Steam and Generico doing the um was it a swanton from Steen and followed immediately from one corner, followed immediately by a big splash from Generico in the other corner, I think was the spot. And yeah. getting just the most absurd near fall that the whole crowd came off their feet for. Um, yeah, that match ruled. And also, the, the six-man tag that weekend, uh, I am on record as saying that is the best in-ring tag of the Drangate and Ring of Honor matches. Obviously, 2006 holds a special place in everyone's heart because of the crowd. 2007 is super fun, but 2008 for me on a strictly in-ring basis is as good as it gets. 
yeah uh, I, I i think of them all very similar i think they all are amazing um in different ways based on the competitors like i think 2007 is the one where you get shingo and mochizuki just being amazing together um mm. yeah that finishing stretch i think you just put that up on twitter recently yeah yeah it's wild but uh the um yeah i i i find it hard to put any of those three matches ahead of the others because i just think they're all just at such a high level that there's nothing between them um but uh yeah uh as far as uh, oh yeah that's one thing i wanted to just come back to uh, case when you were talking about the teams in this tournament one you didn't mention is one where they might not sound like such an attractive team in 2021 to newer viewers or really viewers of the past five years of dragon gate but in 2008 like i might have been as hyped up for this team as any other in the tournament and that was the team that we saw on this uh tv block uh in this essentially semi-final for shima and dragon kid it was yamato and cyber kong let's do it with their name too yama kong and uh <laughs> i was they were basically the the new hazard um uh rejects isn't the word because they left new hazard but they were they were the guys that, that ditched new hazard and formed the basis of real hazard and i was so into them as as heels and as yeah great working heels in the sense that like sometimes i'm a little bothered with um the trending heels of, of recent vintage where they might not have the um intensity or not intensity but the uh what's the word uh, things can kind of be a little slow at times and they can kind of meander and you just get these kind of like you know you'll i'm, I'm picturing poor sb kendo who's great don't get me wrong but you know there'll be points in the match where he's just kind of a bit lethargic and just throwing lazy stomps and then taunting a little bit and, and like, come on man get, get on your bike here um but you drag uh, yamato and cyber kong were just they brought the action they brought the action hard and Yamato had so much charisma at this point. Like, it was insane, the charisma had. He had, and I think this match is, is close to their peak as a team. The one other that jumps out to me is a pay-per-view match they had against Naruki Doi and Naoki Tanazaki, which was amazing. Yes, 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 um, yes. So, yeah, they ruled as a team. Kong was, Kong was a really exciting prospect back then. Like, no one was going to, like, mistake him for um, Granamata, but he was, he had something, like, and I would say it didn't, like, there's glimpses in future years of, if he was in there with the right person, of what we kind of thought he could be, but I wonder how much uh, that run-in with Chima just overall affected his, his confidence and his trajectory, because I don't think he ever got to where you think he'd get to seeing how good he was in this match in, in 2008 um where just yeah him and yamato just tear it up and shingo and kid have to really earn a spot in the final here against doi and yoshino who had a tough trip through into the final themselves just scraping by uh, saito and yokosuka by the skin of their teeth in one of the fastest paced matches i've ever seen um these guys looked like they were on fast forward in in this match. It was it was crazy that, that first match on the show. 
And then as for this match, as for the final, so it's, you know, Dragon Kid and Shingo versus Doi and Yoshi. And there's, I mean, there's a million things I can say about this match. The one thing that I want to be sure that I get in, and I'm just not talented enough of a podcaster to seamlessly fit this in. I kind of have to lead with this and we can talk about other parts of the match from here. But the spot that will stick with me that will define this match, because there's been a million great Twin Gate matches, there's been a million great Doi Yoshi matches, this is the match that has the spot where Doi picks up Dragon Kid and he gives him the Doi Fives over the top rope and, Yoshi, and Dragon Kid goes face first onto the ring apron. It is one of the gnarliest spots I have ever seen. It is attempted murder. And while this is a podcast that is meant to praise Masato Yoshino, I do have one critique, and I am never someone that critiques guys for doing too much. I think wrestling should have more moves in it. But Doi hits this Doi Fives that looks like death to Dragon Kid, and I wish Dragon Kid just would have stayed on the ground, but instead Yoshino hits the ropes and hits him with a tope, and it looks great. It's so much happening at once, but the Doi spot looked so deadly that I wish that was the end of it. I wish there wasn't a dive there, but to me, that is the defining spot in this match, is Doi wrecking Dragon Kid's shit. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. Just on that spot, did um, so my imagination, or did Doi perhaps having learned from the mistake you talk about their case, and with years of experience since, did he use that move in the Dreamgate match against Ata, and then yes. basically build the next five minutes off of it and really make sure it was important? Yeah, I believe no. Mike said yes. That is that is a tremendous callback that I did not pick up on. I have this written in my notes and my, I have a special Yoshino notebook for this uh, series that uh, insane doi fives to the outside. And then Yoshino just decided to do a tope. It just is something that like, it's one of the more devastating moves in an arsenal that includes the roughest looking uh, cannibal senton in wrestling. And then also, you know, the muscular palm, a move that breaks people's necks. Had that cannibal senton work out for him in this match. Uh, not so well, <laughs> not so well, but it's just, I just love this period of uh, Dragon Gate. Like we've talked about this a lot, K, it's like, just like this. And especially like Shingo Takagi in 2008, he has like the most distinctive and cool forearm exchanges that he has with uh, Doi and Doi just like perseveres through it. And it, it's something that I I like that you picked this match, K, so this is another match that I haven't seen in a couple of years, but I like this match because this match very much was, all right, we're getting rid of Dragon Kid. He's annoying. We don't want him around here. And then let's just find ways to try to destroy Shingo's arm. And Shingo just, you know, he is one of the best wrestlers of all time. And the work that you do towards his arm, he does, he sells really well. And it's just really kind of interesting stuff that they kind of add a spin on to. Like one spot that I wanted to make sure to bring up was the, was like the textbook Missile Stomp. Where they do the arm ringer stomp, arm ringer stomp, and then arm ringer, then the big pose that's now King Shimizu's, and then the and then Yoshino from the heavens double stomping down. Uh, Shingo just desperately like trying to like crawl his way and dragging Doi to another turnbuckle and getting drawn back for the double stomp was just awesome. Just presence and awareness there, and you know it's just one of those things that I mean we talked about this it, with the Open the Freedom Gate show. These two teams just gel so well together there's just a, a level of perfection and that's the word that i use intentionally here 
uh, as you'll you'll read next week on VoicesOfWrestling.com, uh, there's a great story that Mike Seidel told me about just how big of a perfectionist Yoshino is, and it comes across in this match. And it's, you know, not exclusive to this match. I think a lot of the Twin Gate matches that I really love have this trait in common, but there's so many big spots. There's so many moves. There's so much movement. There's so much happening in this match. And I think any lesser... Uh, any lesser combatants, there's going to be holes in all of this commotion, but everyone is in the right spot in this match. Like it's just, it's just masterful what they're able to do where the only times they get out of control are seemingly times they use to elevate the match. Either the aforementioned Doi five spot that I talked about. There's a spot right before the finish where Doi does a Tope Suicida onto Shingo and he kind of gets twisted in the air. Like, he almost does a, a, a 180 as he's diving. It, it's it's something so foreign to Drangate. It's what makes this match stand out so much, is they really do push the limits of their athleticism and their physicality in this match. But because they do it, because they, at the end of the day, have this through line of staying in control, it pushes the match up a level. They never lose control. They're always aware of what they're doing, and more importantly, what is coming next. And I think it is just a masterful performance from all four men involved. Did you guys feel like I did that maybe this was a real spotlight showcase match for Yoshino? The finishing stretch is all about him and Dragon Kid. And if I think of up to this point, obviously we talked about him as the number two in the Italian connection. He was a couple of rungs down always in, in blood generation. Um, when Doi and Yoshino started as a team, it always seemed like Doi was kind of the lead guy, I think. Uh, Doi was the guy who, um, yeah, I don't know, he just, you know, Doi got that singles match with Kenta. And, uh, that might have come after, no, that was before this. So Do- Doi was kind of given a bit more spotlight, I think, than, than Yoshino. And then here you really have Yoshino shining in the way this match ends he hits a huge um, uh, lightning spiral to put away Dragon Kid. It has this great cover and double fists up in the air. Look to the heavens celebration when he wins. And the referee's hand hits, hits the mat for three. It just feels like a real moment for Masato Yoshino. Really maybe the biggest moment of his career to this point. Just establishing him as... You know, he's not just a number two. He's not just Doi's sidekick. He is right there alongside him. And he is an integral part of this team. And I know, I thought he, he just really came across like a star. And um, yeah, I just thought there was something else I was going to say there. It's gone out of my head. But yeah, Yoshino looked um, amazing here. Yeah, really good stuff. One of my favorite, I guess this is not for the Twin Gate belts, but I will count this as a Twin Gate match. One of my favorites from the era, and like Alan talked about earlier, this there's a three-week stretch of TV. It's the No Ring Show, and then highlights from the Summer Adventure Tag League from just a bunch of various matches. Uh, that is a show where you get Doyoshi versus Mochi Fuji, and that match I, I think only happened twice, and they both happened in 2008. You get that on on the show in between, the No Ring Show, and then the Summer Adventure Finals Tag League. I need to go back finals. and watch that. When you said that to me last night, I obviously remember the No Ring Show. I remember this show really well. I don't remember that in-between show. 
But if it had that match on it, yeah, I need I need to watch that. Yeah, that that it's a I think it's like a ten minute match, and you get you get most of it, if not all of it. And then I know is it the Kobe? Bucks. Um, no, they, they, Sambo Hall was not filmed on this tour, if I recall correctly. Um, let me see what venue that was in real quick. Um, but I can check that you, yeah. you were saying about the books. Oh, the, the bucks pop up on that, on that, uh, mm-hmm. that show briefly. I forget who it is, uh, that they wrestled, but that is, so it's a show in Nagoya yeah. that has the Doi Yoshi versus Moshi Fuji match. And then the Bucks versus uh, Tozawa Juku was on that show, but I don't think that made tape. I think they showed parts of Bucks versus Speed Muscle, but I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. No, no, I think you're right, and it's a shame. I know we've talked about this case, but the Nagoya venue they used to tape at all the time. Like it, it's something that with the times, with how they've changed, how they do their production and their schedule, it, I still think they run there occasionally, but it's not necessarily like that big spot there. But yeah, no, I remember like. The, 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 this run of shows infinity 97 98 99 were all just the, this was a time period where we've talked about this before there's a reason why dragon gate infinity and the observer awards and what for what the observer awards were before uh new japan's rise for what they were before that there's a reason why dragon gate infinity was always like the number two or number three ranked tv show just because like they found a way Yeah, because i had threads on all the major message boards oh, with dragon that. gate infinity all caps till the bang till the bang till the bang links inside <laughs> exclamation point exclamation point just the most excited looking thread you could ever imagine not seeing on a message board and uh yeah that era i was i was hitting that i was hitting the pavement hard for that one just great tv at the time there and i miss Nagoya, and it's also like a shame because like that's where ut found wrestling like there's fo- there's footage a lot of the time where you could see a very young ut in the crowd and the same with like sp kento and those there but you know it's sadly they they've kind of changed like this but like this this era like this tag leak like as we've been like alluding to is something that we know all of it was taped we know that that somewhere there are these master tapes Gaora for us real sickos out there put up the 2008 summer adventure tag league i know like in three months absolute mente is going to go up on the network just because of where things are time-wise, but what the people really need, we need to have the complete Ariawa collection up on the network. You know, someday it's just there's just going to be some big. We're not going to see it coming. It's just going to be some big thing where I don't know they launch a new service or something happens where just like all that footage just becomes available, just like bam, right there and then, and it's going to be so overwhelming. And you guys and me will probably just like short circuit trying to think what we want to start with it will it will be a great day i mean i know what i'm starting with i'm starting with all the raiwa matches and tozawa juku because that's who i am as a person um i have a question for you guys about this match very curious because you obviously watched this uh within the past i guess year maybe maybe a little more than a year um forget how long you were doing the DGSA rewatch series since uh, I am so far behind where you actually ended up on with it. But um, the Philadelphia iteration of this here tag match, does the Corican version top? No, no, no. I, 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 the, the Philadelphia tag match is something that I, I at least flirted with going five on 
and is one of the five best matches in Dragon Gate USA history. Yeah, no, sadly, I, I'm trying to pull up the list case because we did do like our wrap up thing where we were talking all about this. I'm trying to pull this up at the moment and I can't find it there, but well, I think it ended up being like one of my top three matches in Dragon's Wisdom history yeah, or, or Dragon Gate I, USA history. I obviously remember that match being great, but having just watched the Corkin match last night and just being as just jaw on the floor in awe of it, as I don't think that came across when we talked about it. This match was amazing. I loved it. It was <laughs> yeah. incredible. And having just seen that and with that fresh in mind, for you guys to be confidently saying, no, nah, the Philly match is better. I'm like, yeah, I probably need to watch the Philly match tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it the, the Philly match, like they, they do a ton of stuff in this. It's 25 minutes. We get 21 of it. And it's move after move after move after move. The Philly match is more. It's more of everything. It's absolutely insane uh so i'm looking at my top 10 right now and drawing at usa this was my number five and i i would highly highly recommend revisiting it at some point very soon yeah it's my number four i'm looking at i'm looking at like the complete list there that i that i made up of this it's number four just and and like this was like on a show that not to completely sidetrack us too much this was on a show that i mean had a lot of stuff going on and i mean bb hulk becoming the first open the free and gate champion but this kind of stood alone and stood through the test of time, in my opinion. It was my best match uh, in the company in 2009. So, yeah, Alan, go rewatch that. That's what we're saying. <laughs> I'm going to pull the DVD <laughs> off the shelf as soon as we're done. And with so, that, can... I oh, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Uh, I, I had uh, just one, one last uh, question I was going to ask uh, of you. So we think this is like purely concentrated doyoshi here, but... Uh, for this time period, and this is a kind of a question I want to pose for both of y'all, are Shingo Takagi and Dragon Kid the perfect foils for them? Because I came away from like now looking at this, looking at the, my DGUSA list and watching this today, I think this they might be their best partner or their best opponents. Yeah, I mean, who else? Who's the other signature speed muscle opponent? Because you can't say Motor City Machine Guns because they only had one match. I think, you know, this is uh, Shingo and Dragon Kid are a very similar version of Cena and Generico, but they also only had one match. When you think of speed muscle, is there an opponent that you attach them to, Mike? I think it's these two. I think that's the conclusion I'm coming to. I think it's yeah, that. The... I, I, I like their chemistry more than Saito and Susumo, and we, right. we get a lot of Saito and Susumo versus Speed Moss, or at least a, a decent chunk considering what was taped and what aired. But what yeah, Shingo, I, I. What about Shingo and Hulk? I, that the only has memory that. Yeah, the only memory that comes to mind when I think of Shingo, Hulk, and, and Doi and Yoshi is the, the Shingo turn, where he and, he and Kong turn on Hulk. But is there is there a straight. Doi Yoshi versus Shingo Hulk match that I'm unaware yep. of. It's the January 2008 uh, GAT Junior. Oh, I, yes. Yeah, I actually I watched that this week. That's my bad. Yes, I, I like Shingo and Dragon Kid a little bit better, but I think I, I do too. A, I was just trying a, a reoccurring theme. Uh, Doi and Yoshino against Shingo is a good combination. Yeah, and I think that's more on the Shingo Doi end of things because I think they have incredible chemistry. Shingo and Yoshino is this weird. I know you guys talked about their singles title match um, on on one of the earlier episodes, uh, but sh yeah, sh Shingo and Doi just like you talked about their forearm exchanges earlier. That's always so good. The cannonball spot that I uh, hinted at earlier was 
Doi did the cannonball just full on, full speed, no hesitancy whatsoever into the corner. And Shingo just caught it. He edit, he caught it, and he stood out of the corner and powerbombed Doi to obliteration. It was an amazing spot. Those two guys just brought out the best in each other. And then on the other side, Dragon Kid and Yoshino, like, they are so tied together as just incredible... Like, maybe they didn't have, like, when you think of their touring singles matches in the US and the UK, they had a lot of them, and none of them were really, like, match of the year candidates. But in Japan, they they did have that Brave Gate match, which was, I think, I think they had two Brave Gate matches, which were, I think, close to match of the year level. And they just have, it's not even so much any individual matches as it is just, I think, their chemistry with each other when you see them do anything and certainly when you see them in a tag match whenever they come into the ring together like we had in the finishing stretch here it's magic they're so perfect working with each other it's it's just poetry watching it um watching them do their stuff together and the the back and forth between them at the end of this match i couldn't remember who won this watching that last night and i honestly went from oh here's where speed muscle went oh no here's where shingo and hulk or, and kid went like about four times during the space of of that closing stretch with, with kid and yoshino they had me they kept me guessing and they had me on the edge of my seat yeah i agree that's very well put as we kind of cap off that match alan and now let's go back to you let's talk about a match that i had absolutely zero memory of yeah so like i talked about the start of the show i kind of Pull the crazy one out here. Uh, I went to the 2016 King of Gate. I believe this was Kobe World Hall. Um, or not Kobe World Hall. <laughs> Kobe <laughs> Sambo. Um, uh, that would have been something. Um, but if uh, this was five years ago, a Masato Yoshina who is very much a seasoned veteran at this point and very much in the role of the seasoned veteran as he took on someone who we think of as a young guy right now in 2021 but he was he it's shocking how young he was and how good he was already five years ago it is the boy prince himself l lindeman king of gate yoshino l lindeman just a match I remembered watching and really enjoying, and it wasn't a match that got a ton of hype, but I have it logged away in my match of the year tracking list. I think I gave it, I didn't go back and check, but I'm like 99% sure I, I gave it a nice four and a quarter. And um, I, I loved what they did here. And I remember thinking of it as a real coming out party for Lindemann at the time. We knew he had potential. We knew he was good. Um, but for what 19 20 at most at, at this point for him to produce a match of this quality a performance of this quality i think was real was real next step to the next level stuff for him and we got to see yoshino working as the seasoned veteran so brilliantly and it showed a level of maturity that is the the complete antithesis to what he was in a two thousand match where it was all raw potential and and yeah just like 
he the El Lindemann here was the Masani Yoshino of 2002 where you just see all this raw potential and now Masari Yoshino in 2016 it's a guy who's realized all that potential and he's now I don't want to say gatekeeper that's um that's do- selling him short but he is a, a hurdle that a young wrestler like El Lindemann isn't going to overcome but you want to see how high he can get trying to clear that hurdle and spoiler this match goes to a time limit draw so while he doesn't clear the hurdle uh it doesn't trip him up either and um they do a tremendous job in this match and it actually goes a slightly different direction than you'd probably think because a a large portion of the match is actually and this is a real test for him and he he passed it with flying colors it's lindeman in control of the match because he exploits an injury to yoshino's leg and he goes to work on it in really really skilled and impressive fashion um he he doesn't um he doesn't relent he's intense his his leg work is all really good and it is sold brilliantly by yoshino yoshino does a masterful job of selling all the way through this match and then they build to a frantic closing stretch where you have yoshino essentially trying to survive he, every time yoshino goes for the kill lindeman has his number and it's lindeman then putting yoshino in danger whether it's yoshino desperately trying to fight off a um, german suplex but then he gets hit with german suplexes kicks out barely and then he's trying to desperately fight off a tiger suplex and yoshi and lindeman's trying to lock that in yoshino gets out and then Lindemann goes back to the leg and has Yoshino in a leg submission as the time expires and Yoshino's just trying to survive and get to the ropes. It's brilliantly done. Um, Tremendous performances from both guys in in very different roles and a very clear story to this match. And it's something that, Alan, you told this match's story beautifully, but just to further cement it, Yoshino basically in 20 minutes makes a Lindemann in this match because how expertly he sells the sense of desperation where like you open up and it's like a fun opening where like they're, they're, they're like grappling. And then suddenly a Lindemann's like, Oh wait, I'm a judoka. And I was a very good judoka. I should be able to like dismantle this guy. And then you could kind of see the look in Yoshino's eyes. And it's something that we've talked about before about how Yoshino is one of the, like the most expressive wrestlers when it counts those last gasps of life uh, kickouts and you just like see the look on his face of going like originally it's like all right i need to take care of this kid because at this time and i thought this was the case i went back and looked this time limit draw eliminated masato yoshino from the king of game 2016 and big r shimizu instead of won the block here so the, the the look in yoshino's face of like oh this is actually like bad now i i need to take care of and get out of this because this kid is coming for me. This kid knows what happens, well, how big this would be if this is his big win here, especially because this is El Lindemann's first King of Gate. He escapes King of Gate with only one point, and it's this point here. And, and El Lindemann's just a shark. My exact note in here, pardon my language, is El Lindemann is a fucking shark towards uh, Yoshino's leg throughout this. And it's just expertly done. You, you get like Yoshino, like the way that he sells his leg is just like 
shaking it out, coming down hard sometimes and just like wincing with it. And then like shaking it out and trying to go for the Orihara moonsault where immediately big Arshimizu gives the most like tender, like ice, uh, like the ice bag on his knee as it happens there going to that amazing fishing stretch. And, you know, it was something where the, the, the thing that I really liked in this finishing stretch here, Alan, was Yoshino like is really like grasping for air because he's like, I have to win this match. I have to win this match. And he goes for like a Torbellino's crucifix. Uh, Lindemann kicks out, does a judo throw, and then does some of the neatest like pinning combinations I've seen going into like, okay, I got to see if I can get him with the the uh, knee bar at this point. And that then the little bell like kind of back leg trip into a roll yes. through thing he did that came out of nowhere Donna excused upon lightning speed on uh, the speed star like, absolutely that was unbelievable I leapt off the couch this evening when Lindemann did that little thing that for uh, someone that inexperienced at that age to be that technically uh, just sound is I Jesus I like this was and this is not a slight on current L Lindemann because um, current Lindemann's awesome, but he didn't look any less capable here than he looks in 2021. And it's not like he hasn't progressed in five years. It's just he was already at such a high level five years ago. It's it's crazy. How, how, maybe he just had a really good night, but I think we saw other performances, maybe not at this level, but high enough level to know he had this in him back then. Well, the issue that Lindemann will face going forward, and I just I echo everything you guys said about this match. It was brilliant. And I, by 2016, I'm reviewing the big Dragon Gate shows for Voices of Wrestling. I have the fondest memories of King of Gate 2016. I don't know why I did not remember this match, but I had no clue it existed. Gun to my head, I would have said these two never had a singles match. But that's exactly it. I mean, I, you know, Lindemann, I remember his debut, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a guy. To what degree, I don't know, but oh, my God, look at this guy. Like, look at just the foundation that he has as a, a black tights debuting young boy. And you see two years later what he was able to do with Yoshino. The issue now, if you want to expand this to what he's doing in Gleet and All Japan and, and Zero One, which is the crux of this argument, is who is he going to work at this point? that he is going to get better from. If you throw him in the All Japan Junior Division, he's now arguably a veteran or at least one of the more well-traveled wrestlers there with all due respect to someone like Hikaru Sato, who I know has a, a, a nice following but isn't a wrestler who lights my world on fire. I don't know if Lindemann gets better working guys like that. I don't know if there's someone on the Gleet roster outside of intensive interaction with Shima, wrestling Shima, not teaming with him, I don't know if there's someone there that can take him to another level. Is he going to get better working? Kazayashi and, and Minoru Tanaka would be the two for me. I did, and I do always slight Minoru Tanaka, and that is my bad. Minoru Tanaka, absolutely. You know, Hayashi can still go, but yeah, it's just you, you're missing those guys. You know, I yeah, I talked earlier about Milano and the what if, and while I don't necessarily sit back and think about. You know, what would T-Hawk be doing right now in Dragon Gate? Or even what would Shima be doing right now in Dragon Gate? El Lindemann's one where I think, man, I'd, I'd like to get him back. I would like to see him wrestling Casey at this point in his career. I'd like to see what he can do with Susumu. I'd like to see 
L. Lindemann against S.P. Kento. It's another great what if of, you know, and what could have been. And I just worry long term. I mean, I think Lindemann, you know, he's what? He's not even 30 yet. I don't 26. Think. I just checked. Oh, my God. He's See, he 26 was, he was, years old. He was 21 for, for this match we're talking about. And I, I was thinking about what you were just saying there earlier. And I was thinking about how, like, not that he's, again, I don't want to slight where he's at now, but it's like, I, I, I hate to use the word stagnated, but I was thinking to myself, has he stagnated? I don't think he, he has, but I was thinking if he has, why, why, why is that? And what I was thinking of was kind of a, a, a variation of what you're saying there, Case. And where I kind of landed on it was this, and I, I think, I'm hoping, um, Galate will give some kind of structure that will help with this but for the last couple years where Lindemann and T-Hawk to an extent I think this is hit T-Hawk too where they kind of found themselves in a position where they were going to loads of different places and if you go to loads of different places generally that's talked about as a thing which is great for a wrestler in terms of, of learning and I think that was more so the case in like the eighties and nineties, early nineties, particular. Um, Chris Jericho goes to CMLL. He learns a ton because he's dropped into CMLL and he has to adapt. Whereas now, if you're El Lindeman, El Lindeman comes and wrestles in Cork in Ireland for OTT. Okay, he wrestles in Oberhausen in Germany for WXW. I was there in the building both those times. And he goes out and he puts on a match. It was him and T-Hawk teaming. And, and, and this goes, I'm using those two examples, but this is basically the majority of the work he did, even to an extent the AEW stuff. The majority of the work that, that they did when they were kind of touring Nomad Stronghearts is they'd go in and you'd have a promoter or whatever who'd be saying, hey, you guys do your thing that you do that has people wanting you on our show, that has you going around working in different places. So they go and they do what has worked for them and what gets a reaction. And with El Lindemann, you kind of will see him do kind of the same spots, the same sequences. Like, I've seen him do certain sequences a bunch of times, particularly during that sort of late 2018 through to early 2020 period of maybe 18 months where they were really touring around, I probably saw certain L. Lindemann sequences over and over a lot, whether it was in Big Japan, whether it was in WXW, wherever it might have been. Um, because you don't get, nowadays you don't get dropped in to a place when you're going learning somewhere and have to adapt to that. You just go and you do what you do because the crowds are so crowds fans are so kind of well versed in in wrestling from all over wrestling is so globalized now that there's not that distinct like if you were a u.s territorial wrestler that walked into arena mexico in 1991 and you tried to do your memphis shtick they wouldn't the fans wouldn't know what to do with it it'd be like what 
they, they wouldn't react. It'd be really strange. Maybe it'd be amazing. It actually does sound kind of amazing, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, likewise, if you were a luchador and tried to do your lucha shtick in um, the Memphis Coliseum, that might not work. So you had to adapt. Whereas now I don't think the pressure is on guys to adapt because wrestling audiences are so globalized and the wrestling style is so globalized, to be honest. So you can kind of be a Lindemann and just go and do your tried and trusted stuff. Get in, get out, get a reaction. Fans are happy because they might not have seen your stuff before and it's their first time seeing this touring act. Um, Someone like me who follows the touring act around, it gets a bit repetitive. And I can kind of see the wrestler maybe stagnating a little bit. Um, whereas if you're a Dragon Gate, and that's solely where you're working, and if you're Kaito Ishida, and you're there in one place the whole time, and you're being put in different situations against different guys, and you have a story that's changing, whether you're turning heel, being put in this feud, going into this program, having to be a champion, having to challenge for championships, these are all things you need to adapt to. And you need to learn new skills within the context of your promotion. Um, and that's what Alindeman missed out on for those years. And if you look at how Kaito, Oshi- Kaito Ishida developed in that period versus how Alindeman has developed in that period, um, one has added a lot of strings to his bow in terms of being a professional wrestler. The other has gotten in really sick shape, gotten awesome tan and uh, bleached his hair and uh, a gone a little crazy and uh is still really good and still has all the potential in the world i don't want to sound like i'm ragging on lindemann but you can kind of see there's a difference there and i think if he was having more experiences like working with yoshino here um maybe doing a program with mochizuki whatever it might be being a brave gate champion having to defend the title for nine months and make the different championship matches different and interesting like yoshida did that would have had Lindemann... We'd see a very different Lindemann now than we do. I really do think that. But you learn a lot from going into different countries and having to fend for yourself and just be dropped in in uh, in Essen, <laughs> Germany and uh, live in the WXW Academy for three weeks while Shima is off taking care of business in other parts of the world. And boy, oh boy, could I tell you guys some stories about about that and what that looked like for those guys but uh um yeah that's a a rant and a half that i wasn't expecting to go on but i hope did i get that point across okay is that did i make yeah alan Alan, the the comparison of ashita to lindemann is perfection that's exactly what it is and i you know lindemann being 26 depresses me because where where does he go from here i mean if 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 the glee thing works out great i am a little bit more favorable of it compared to Mike. I know Mike is, you know, way down on it. I, I think it's at least a landing pad. I think it's something he can do. He, he can do something there for at least a little bit. That's the best way I can describe my right. thoughts on the promotion. But I just, I don't know how he gets better. I Honestly, his specific landing spot to me is DDT. And not that I want to separate the strong hearts because I do think they are still tremendously entertaining together. But Lindemann and DDT, to me, is the answer. I think he can get away with his size there, his charisma works there, his in-ring, both in terms of the comedy that he can do and the serious nature of his approach. I think it all works there. Stronghearts had success there as a as a trio and as a unit, but I do think long-term, 
I don't I don't know if that's the spot for T Hawk. I don't think that's the spot for Shima, but I do think it's where Lindemann would fit best. But he's you know attached at the hip to these guys for now and attached in a promotion. So I I don't know. It, it's a it's a bummer that this is where we're at with his career when you look at five years ago, even three years ago, all the hope and potential that was there. I, I think yeah. he, um sorry Michael, I'll let you go ahead because I'm conscious I've just talked for a lot here. <laughs> but I, just to say I think um it was encouraging to see um on that first show where he's opening the show in a feature singles match against a, a big heavyweight guy, an impressive guy, and he gets the win and they put a really good match together and I thought Lindemann kind of like stepped up and showed an intensity in, in that match that was was very encouraging and then he got a chance to kind of carry the mic work mic work and promo stuff and he was really kind of pushed as one of the faces of the brand um which like even if this thing flames out in two years if he's if that kind of progresses and that kind of face of the brand he's kind of slotted in that role where he's kind of one of the the main kind of faces of the brand and cutting promos and in big spots on the shows like that will be good for his growth it, it will I, I would definitely think that's the case so um yeah and if he can in the, that period of time learn as much as he can from guys like Minoru Tanaka and Kasayashi then kind of could be good it's not it's it's not the most um it's not the most uh regimented um learning experience that a, a by the book like a guy in the Dragon Gate system would be getting but there's stuff to take from it anyway yeah that that's kind of what I was actually gonna like bring up about like Lindemann now versus Lindemann in 2016 is that you look at how things were in 2018 when the split happens and it was like the perfect time for all Lindemann going with like the past and the Dragon system for him to go on an excursion and it was something that you would think that, like, we think about, like, Shingo Takagi's excursion. We think about Akira Tozawa's excursion. We think about how Shun's completely changed since his excursion. And because of, I think the reason that you laid out with, like, doing the uh, traveling act, he did not have the kind of the same experience as one would expect. Like, I mean, Akira Tozawa basically going, like, all right, I have this preternatural crowd connection. And... I'm using that to get me over. I'm already a solid enough wrestler to there. Shingo Takagi just being a force of nature, and then Shun Skywalker being able to kind of get out of everyone's hair and, you know, become like true heavyweight versus his high-flying self that was before. We didn't have that with Alindaman. Alindaman would do the Traveling Stronghearts match. It was always fun, but, like, it's one of those things that, like, as you said, Alan, like, doing the, playing the hits in a lot of ways, AEW was something that, especially at that time, if they were around more, maybe they would have done more with Strong Hearts. And then there's a the whole issue about not being able to get the OWE kids into America, which is its own issue there. And I guess like the thing about and why I'm more down on this is I see really one true path forward for Lindemann. And it is going to require something that I don't think he's going to do, which is cut ties with T-Hawk and uh, Shima. And I think that he is someone that, you know, he does that. Maybe he goes work DDT for a couple of years, does most of the indies. But I think that he does that, and eventually, you know I mean? He's 26 now. He uh, He's the one out of the four, really, that I could see walking back into Dragon Gate one day. 
And I think that's his I think that's his best case scenario. I mean, I hope Gleek goes well. I just have been around the block enough and have seen enough of these like fly by night promotions pop up in Japan, especially like right now in Japan. That's a terrible idea. And the way that they're blowing money and I just like look at it and I'm like, Oh, this will be fun. I know there's interest in it, but I don't expect it to last long given the paychecks that a lot of the people on that show are taking. As for Lindemann versus Yoshino, an unbelievable match. The struggle, I, I will I will dare I use meme language here when I say the struggle was real, but I, the fight and the struggle in this match was just absolutely terrific. It's one of those matches that bums me out because I think the people that would arguably enjoy this most are the people that would never think about watching Dragon Gate, but this has oh, such sure. a distinct feel to it, such a unique, mm-hmm. you know, grappling heavy style of style of match. Well done, Alan. Thank you for sending this my way. I thoroughly enjoyed this match. Yeah, yeah I'm, glad, I, I'm glad. I was. I I didn't. I wasn't sure whether you guys would remember or not because, as I said, I felt it was a match where a lot of people might not remember but it's like if anyone does it'd be probably you guys um so i'm kind of happy that you didn't and uh yeah it was kind of a something because i i i really thought when especially when you said to me you didn't remember it's like i think case is gonna really really like this when he watches it but uh um yeah i something i was gonna say there about um Oh yeah, no, it's I, it's it's a, an after recording thing. It's not a scoop or anything, guys. I'm not I'm not blackballing <laughs> the listeners or blueballing the listeners. It's just something that doesn't need to be talked about on air in terms of uh, doesn't add to the discussion. Scoops with a Z. That's what it's, Alan it's has not a scoop. The show. I'll, tell, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what it was. I wanted to ask the guys their opinion about Issei Onitsuka in terms of the strong hearts and Galate, but yeah, I don't think that's really necessary for uh, the Masato Yoshino speed star retrospect. Unless you want it. <laughs> oh, no. Nice little wrestler. Hope he does well. Actually thought he looked really good on the first Glee show. First time I've ever said that about him. Um, but yeah, he's fine. He would be... The, on the lower end of a, a, a Dragon Gate prospect, if he came in right now, but I think he's got a he's got a cushy gig in Strong Hearts, and I wish him the best. I think he's progressing he, real nicely. Yeah, it's certainly he, better. Him on the first Glee show was way better than whatever the last time I saw him was. Yeah, I think the last time I saw him was Russell One. And I yeah, it was pretty. Ep- I I was glad that Yamamura had a friend that was going along with him. That, that that was my take up until the the Gleet show. Where did he come from? Was he a Wrestle One trainee? No. Uh, to my understanding, he is a friend of Takiyori Yamamura's from childhood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I I guess like the interesting thing about this match, and I'm really really glad Alan that you brought this to us, is we got to see an aspect of Yoshino here that, at least from the series so far we really didn't get to see, and that is Yoshino kind of, like, taken out of the Yoshino role, in a way. Like, yes, he is certifiably the guy. He's Monster Express at this time, is, you know, one of the the, the Superface stable at the time, and he's coming off of all these Dreamgate runs. Like, he's undefined. Like, even in the era of the Big Six, he was the guy coming out of it here, but having him kind of, like, thrown to the angry pink shark boy prince of pro wrestling that was a real treat and saying like yoshino just i mean if you want a clinic if you're a wrestler listening to this if you want a clinic to watch a clinic of how to get someone else who should not be on your level over 
watch Masato Yoshino in this match. It's really spectacular. Hey, how troubling was it uh, seeing T-Hawk at ringside uh, cornering the guy against El Lindana? <laughs> Deep, deeply disturbing imagery. I go back, and I was, you know, a pretty big fan of T Hawk during most of that run. But there's something that when I rewatch that era, I just think, God, yeah. what was he doing here? Like, and I, I liked a lot of it at the time. I think the T Hawk and Ato stuff holds up really well. Big I T. think he has, he has some good Dreamgate matches that aren't necessarily. Uh, he's not the reason they're good, but he's in good matches. But as a whole. What an odd fit. What just I mean, you know, he Wrestle One was perfect for him. It's a bummer Wrestle One went away because that was the perfect spot for T Hawk. Yeah, yeah, he was he was amazing in those Wrestle One title matches that he had. That was maybe the best work he's he's done in his career, I would say. Would that be would that be crazy to say? I I mean outside of the Ata tags, I Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean T and E. I mean, that tag team, and I mean, they try to replicate what they had in Millennials and Antios and Berserk, and it just did not work. But yeah, no, T-Hawk, I mean, so, I, I, I'm, we'll see how the future goes for T-Hawk. I, I'll just leave it at that. Something I've never thought about that has just blown my mind is the, um, the show I was at in 2016, which was April 2016. I literally just popped into my head there. I was like, was that the match on this show? I didn't realize it was a Lindemann versus T-Hawk on the show I was at in Cork. Um, and a Lindemann beat T-Hawk in 10 minutes on that show. April 2016. Isn't that wild? Considering Lindemann then, like a few months later, is a one-point guy in King of Gate. And like T-Hawk in 2016 was... Was that before? That was before either of his... No, he he headlined 2015 and 2017, so this is in the middle of his two big pushes. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that at all. Um, this whole show outside the main event, because the match before that is Ashida and Yamamura versus Fuji and UT, and that will need to be revisited in the wee hours of the night. That is a that is a match that is only meant to view in darkness. Uh, whatever comes with that match <laughs> will be some sort of pleasure that is not meant to be seen during sunlight. But Lindemann versus T-Hawk, zero. I, I, man, I gotta revisit this whole period because I have no idea why that match happened. Well, if you're if you're watching the the full um, if you're watching the full April 2016 uh, Corican show, make sure you you watch for your boy and his interaction with Mizaki Mochizuki uh, during the main event. Entrance. That I, that I remember. That I will never forget. Yeah. The smile <laughs> on Alan's face, really hard to beat. I don't I, remember I, I, whatever the hell this 30-second singles match of Mondai Ryu versus CyberCon was <laughs> after the main event. What in God's name was that? Jeez, oh, remember 2016? I think it was something with, uh, because uh, if I'm right in the time frame, uh, Mondai Ryu was hurt a lot and then was drafted over to over generation because there was a winner gets it to pick a member of the other team and they decide yeah we'll take Mondai Ryu and maybe that was around like his return maybe yeah I don't know maybe that, that that's just me pulling something out of my ass there did the Misaki Mochizuki recognize that you were one of the two people in the Dragon Gate USA Miami shows that was chanting Mochi during his entrance 
like I feel like he's a man who has a list of every single match he's been in. I feel like well, he would remember. Well, he, he he definitely uh, he definitely liked me because he gave me a, a sweet program with lots of cool stuff in it. Um, it was like kind of a um a year. Oh, that was tra- kind of a thing. What was that? The- oh yeah, that was the train conductor. That that was during when like he became the uh, ticket taker for the Jimmy's train. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he came out with the thing, and he was giving gifts to various people in the crowd, of which I received one. But uh. It was um, uh, he my interactions with Mizaki Mochizuki um were uh, standing beside him as he goes nuts watching Vader kill a bunch of jobbers in Miami <laughs> on that uh, Legend show. Um, a, clearly a big fan of UWFI run uh, from Super Vader back in in the mid nineties. Um, I went up to him at a DGUK meet and greet and uh, before he wrestled Susumu um, in Cambridge in the United Kingdom beside a graveyard and uh, well actually uh, when we arrived at that show he was doing laps of said graveyard with Shima um, training before the show uh, they were running around gravestones and uh, we were I don't know maybe 200 yards away from them where we parked and I pointed over towards them, and I got the other guys with me to all uh, do the ooh, and uh, Shima gave a half-hearted stop of his jog and a ooh, and uh, Mochizuki, I think, probably just shook his head. But then at the meet and greet, maybe an hour later, um, I went up to Mochizuki, and I said probably something like, um, uh, you and Susumu, uh, very excited. Um, I love mochizuki contra mochizuki 2003 or whatever the year would have been um and 2002 i guess and uh he looked at me like i was the biggest nerd in the world (laughs) then uh our final interaction was uh that spot on this show so um well you helped him uh reconnect with taz on twitter recently as well Oh yeah, yeah. We've had actually lots of positive Twitter interactions now today. I would dare dare say that me and Mizaki Mochizuki are good social media pals. Oh god, I, I, I'm so envious, I'm, Alan. I'm so envious. I'm usually up in the the wee hours of the morning, getting ready to to go to bed when an hour later than I should have, and uh, he's he's hitting the gym um, the next morning. So that's always my son. When I see Mizaki Mochizuki in the gym, I'm like, I need to get to bed. It's something where every morning you could you could count on it. Mochi's Twitter account. He'll have oh. a photo of him in the gym. Clockwork. He is like clockwork, and he will always have a comment of when like, although I'm getting older, I must train stronger. Bitter smile. Like he'll write out bitter smile, and I'm just like, all right. But like just like clockwork. It's something that usually I'm trying to think of time change wise when he's doing. It. It's usually around my. It's usually about like dinner time or about time for me to turn on dynamite where I see that I'm like, all right. And as we're speaking, Mochizuki has tweeted just right now, like clockwork. Oh, he's early. What a man. Yeah, I mean, it's like 6.30 over there, you know? That's early. Oh, he's at the ring. He's setting up the ring truck, and he is at the dojo. Might have a a photo of one of those dojo cats coming at us as well. One can hope. Enjoyable content there. This was I. I we got off on Mochizuki Twitter uh, uh, nonsense. This is <laughs> even for our standards. This is pretty impressive. We have, someday we'll do a show a show with, um, where it's like tangents only. We don't have a topic and we just we just do tangents. <laughs> I think you just book yourself for next week. That sounds incredible. 
<laughs> well, Alan, uh, well, a question that we usually ask everyone on this series is, and I think it would be a good way for us in this to close this out, to you, uh, what is Masato Yoshino to you? I know that's a very wide question. And what is kind of like your strongest memory of Masato Yoshino? Um, to me, I, when I think Masato Yoshino, um, there's a phrase Chris Hero once used to describe Claudio Castagnoli, and it's a term I've used for a small amount of people over the years that I think really are, they, they deserve this, um, term used from that's a, a pro wrestling angel just uh, an angel sent from the heavens to just give nothing but positive to professional wrestling that's uh, you, to be a, an angel of pressing you need to obviously be amazing you need to be incredible you need to be like one of the best workers of all time you need to never put a foot wrong you need to be unselfish you need to be um someone with a good attitude you need to be someone that's endlessly professional um someone that no one ever says a bad thing about you never hear any scandal about that's that's what chris hero was talking about when he referred to claudio as an angel sent to pro wrestling from from the heavens and i can't think of many people that fit that description better than masato yoshino um he's he's just tremendous and uh he's someone who will be you know, maybe like the ultimate pro wrestling angel is just Jushin Thunder Liger, and he retired, and it was such a ha- happy, happy thing, and we saw the catastrophic effect of removing him from pro wrestling. This global pandemic, the wrestling industry like grinding to a halt. I'm hoping we don't have similar consequences from Masato Yoshino uh, removing himself from pro wrestling. Pro wrestling angel, Masato Yoshino. I love it. I, I think that's a perfect note for us to go uh, out. As, as far as uh, you also wrestling. asked, what my kind of Yoshino right. strongest Sorry. Yoshino memory would be. Um, I probably shouldn't have interjected there. I should probably just let you finish because I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> I want to, it's all good. I, I want to say the Mochizuki match at Korokan. You know those entrances. Anytime you got Speedstar with the piano before it, um, that was that always just is goosebump inducing, and uh, yeah, that's that's a big one. That Mochizuki match at at Corican Hall, um, that's that's probably the one I'd go with. I mean, and I, smile, I know we thought... the smile on his face, like after, like the the. The amigo tag match with like, Susumu and, and Kagator, just just how happy he was getting to share that moment with his, his best pal Sachioko boy, yeah, yeah, that that moment of happiness that was really, um, and like the, the connection, the crowd, like the crowd would always be so happy when they'd see Yoshino be happy. Like when Yoshino smiled, it would just light up the room and everyone would be happy when he was happy. And that's a great example of it as well. I think that that is just like thinking about the Mochi match. Like I've kept that into our holster. If Case and I continue this series after his retirement, eventually we have to talk about that match 
just because, Alan, I know we've talked about this. I remember, at least on the board, you having Mochizuki in the ring with the lights dimmed. I think there was a disco ball come out there, and it was start- they were starting to fade to Masato Yoshino during the piano entrance. That is just one of those indelible marks in pro wrestling to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite... Uh, um, we had these things back in the day, kids, uh, called uh, signatures. Sigs, as we called them. And uh, that was my... Uh, that was one of my favorite sigs I had in my message board or career. <laughs> I mean, I had, uh, for the longest time, on a different message board, I had the Akira Tozawa, uh, uh, Shepard Fahey uh, Tozawa photo as it for a while. So, kids, it used to be that you would have both your icon and then something after your post. And if it was a really good one, someone who, like me, will remember it eight, nine years later. I'm gonna embarrass myself, and I'm gonna I'll I'll, I'll show the lads, and they, uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll keep it to themselves, or maybe they'll they'll want to embarrass me publicly. But I'm gonna dig out here my my original signature that I made for myself on my first message board in 2002. Oh wow, case it, it, I know that with you, PWO was a message board that you were really on at the time. Did you ever bother with these? Uh, photos and uh signatures at all or was oh, that just... oh yeah 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 there, there was a form i was on way before pwo that i definitely definitely remember and this is 2013 ish having okay. someone someone commissioned me a sammy callahan signature because uh, i know how to pick them uh i yeah, fucking probably had a teddy hart signature in there at some point uh no not really but yeah definitely flirted with a, this a lot uh having like the graphic designer of the forum uh, shell out some graphics for me and i i specifically remember a sammy callahan one and an austin aries one uh because in 2013 it was okay to like austin aries did they have the fire around your user title with the photo of it oh that i don't know i know in the form i was on uh you could like customize your username and so i i definitely would like play with the color of that and my overall aesthetic of the page was was fit to my liking, but I don't know about any fire. I I have a real life fear of fire, so even digitally, I would not feel comfortable with that. No, I respect that. I respect that. Uh, I remember for a while my really good one that I had, other than the Tazawa Shepard Fahey one, was I had a Mochi's. It was Don Fuji with the dog. Well, one of the many Don Fuji photos I have that was just phenomenal and. Looking at, at Allen's, you know what? That's I, I I see this and not too embarrassing, Alan. I I think that you're fine about this. I, I I would not be as ashamed about it as you were alluding to. So it's it's a young AJ Styles, perhaps in an NWA Wild Side ring. It is Kurt Angle, which if it's 2002, gotta have Kurt Angle. You are a work rate guy after all. And then that is Trish Stratus, I believe. Is that correct, Alan? Did we lose Alan? Alan is muted. I I could say yes, that is Trish Stratus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, weirdly, I was like not positive in that answer. Six, 16, 17 year old Alan, 2002, big Trish Stratus guy. Big, big <laughs> Trish Stratus guy. Hey, look, look what I found. You think that isn't embarrassing? Oh my god, what I've just found. So basically, like, you'd put this series of code in as part of your SIG, and it would have, like, all this kind of extra information, like, 
mine is ridiculously long here, but everyone had these. So I've just sent it to you um, <laughs> as it was in this notepad document. Uh, wait, wait till you see some of the stuff here. Well, for one, you have a, this is all in BB code, which is something that I incredibly remember. Uh, listing of all your faves here. Uh, so we have you... the respect list slash, so this is other <laughs> forum members who you have exchanged respect with. <laughs> Jazz H Van Damme. H2K, Jazz Van Damme, Street Dog, The Book. <laughs> God, Street Dog probably got some good posts. <laughs> you, you know, I'm wondering about Ziffendel. Alan Zink, his favorite match of all time, Crispin Wall versus Triple H versus Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 20. That is very interesting, as well as the fact that at the bottom of this, and we are now at the point of the show where we are we are reading Alan's Twitter DMs for those that are, are possibly confused. <laughs> uh, it is good to know Alan is a member of the Manitude Club. In purple. In purple text. In, pur I mean, in purple. <laughs> And then all cops, very important, credit myself for the banner. There you go. Why there don't we have a member of the Manitude Club twice? <laughs> I mean, you're really proud of being a member of the Manitude Club. Long live professional wrestling. <laughs> hey, brother, I'll drink to that. I hope it's around for a lot longer. We got to get you back on the show. <laughs> we got to do an episode talking about wrestling forums. I, I mean, I could start pulling up my old role plays when I did E-Fetting. I yeah, that's uh, I think that's the next evolution of this because I have a, a an EWR uh, diary stashed away somewhere on the internet. Oh, there that we I, go. I, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Uh, I I just remember booking a stable with Austin Aries, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish, and going like, yeah, this should be on national TV. This is good shit. Three fourths of the way. Three fourths of the way. <laughs> you know, I, I think you forgot Bobby Fish's allegiance to QAnon. We're really only batting uh, about five hundred there. I forgot that he wants to save the children. I forgot that. Oh, oh Florida. Mike, what are, Mike, what are we doing here? What are we doing? We got to wrap this episode up, my man. <laughs> yeah, before before we, we go completely off the rails, Alan, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to spend some time talking to you and for you to come on to our series. Is there anything you would like to plug before we get out of here? I forgot I was doing a podcast. I just thought I was chatting with my buds here. <laughs> um, wow, this is as always, guys, an absolute blast talking to you. It's it's so much fun. Um, we we could talk for days. Um, yeah, plugs. Um, PW Torch VIP, of course. Sign up there for all the great PW Torch content, old and new, huge amount of archival contents, and all the new shows, including my own show, Progress Paradise, hosted every week and the show which just went up uh i'm super proud of super happy about it's one of these shows where it's like that's finishing I'm like that's why i still do a podcast um because it was just me and my pal lee malone uh, from the days of thunder pod we talked about paul orndorff and we just dug into a bunch of paul orndorff matches and pulled them apart and talked about them and went on tangents like we did here and uh, it was just so much fun. And uh, you can kind of hear us just wa waxing lyrically about some of the stuff in those matches that we were. Um, look, I'm not going to be able to uh, um, blow by blow go through Orndorff's career to the level of detail that Joe Lanza did last week. An incredible job. But uh, me and Lee both kind of came from the same, the same um, 
point in terms of like being aware of Orndorff, knowing a bit about him, having certainly seen a lot of him over the years, but never really dug into thinking about him too much. And we did that. Um, uh, we did that. Am I still on here? Yeah, you're good. Oh, sorry. It's just case dropped off. Sorry. Um, yeah. I, I just got a message from him. I thought I dropped off. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, you're good. We, we um, we, we yeah we just kind of come from the same point of just digging in and just reviewing the matches we watched and I was really happy with that audio and how it came out so I hope people enjoy that if they check that out and Alan4L of course is the Twitter account where you can find me and anything of note that I need to let you know about will be posted there so um, thank you for everything uh, uh, guys um, Mike still here Case not here thank you uh, for for everything it's it's been a blast. Yeah, thank you again, Alan. You could follow the show at Open Open Voice Gate on Twitter. Usually, I mess up the intro, not the outro. And you could follow Case at underscore in your case, and you can follow me at Fujiheya. That's it for Open the Voice Gate Speed Star. We'll be back with you next time, talking more about Masato Yoshino and the road to Masato Yoshino's retirement show, Speed Star Final. Take care, everyone. <laughs>